0: Hey, I'm Bryson. And uh I'm a grateful member of Al Anon. You know it says uh AA participation. I don't want to freak y'all out. I'm not an alcoholic. I just look like one. Um, and I tend to start my pitch that way because it freaks some people out when I show up because they're like, Oh, it's it's down the hall. It's the other one. I but I guess we're Al Anon, so we'd all be like, I'm in the wrong room. But um I've messed up again. Um, I like to thank Richard. Uh, yeah, I can't believe I picked Hawaii over Saskatoon that year, but um, but uh, you know I'm crazy. That's why I'm in this program. But um, and thank you and beautiful wife and 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 as I'm supposed to call him my friend Emmett. Apparently this is his full name uh, for letting me wander around his house in my pajamas. So that's pretty awesome. But. Um, you guys have been awesome. It's, it's been really great being here, and uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, of where I come from, actually, from down south. It's really amazing to me. I, I say it to everyone. I drive people crazy, but it's really striking to me. like The geography and, and the buildings and everything uh, look a lot like where I was raised, and so it's, it's been neat to come. Uh, I've lived in Los Angeles for the last 25 years. Um, and uh, and and that's not really you know I come from a town of 7,000 people so I, I you know I really relate to a lot of the people here coming from small areas uh, and I want to say that you know I'm really impressed with the number of meetings you have and the a number of people excited about recovery. It's something I lament for the area where I'm from. Recovery is not as valued and not as available. And so it's a beautiful thing. I want you to know that every one of you is doing a good thing by being here and by showing up to meetings. You know, when I, when I needed this program, there were people there. And they had been there for a long time and they stayed and they kept coming back. And that stability and that love is what got me through. Um, I'd never had that, you know, in my life. Um, I, I, you know, I appreciate, Rich, I appreciate you saying what you said about me because um, I've always had a lot of energy. I'm a pretty hyped up guy, uh, I've always talked a lot. Uh, in the past, you know, there were all sorts of reasons for that. And even now there's all sorts of reasons for that. But, um, but I really do, I love the life that, that recovery given me. And, um, you know, I had, I, I kind of had the safe, same life before, but it, I just didn't love it. You know, n- nothing really changed. I'm in the same career. And, uh, You know, and and if you just looked at the outsides, my life's a lot the same as it was before recovery, but it couldn't be more different. You know, they say it's a disease of perception, and for me, that was it and uh, and also from the outside it's I, you know i feel like al anon recovery is in some ways more difficult than getting sober and the reason i mention that is like uh, alcoholics get to go away to like a vacation for 30 days or 90 days and and we just got to work our jobs and be miserable about why we do it and just go to hang out in church basements and then um and uh and also, people will just look at you as an Al-Anon, and, the, and there's nothing to point at. If someone's drunk, you know, it's pretty easy to see the problem if they're drinking or using. It's pretty obvious. And they get this great excuse. For me, I was just a jerk. You know, to me, nobody, there was like, you know, everybody goes, oh, yeah, he was really drunk the other night. It's like, no, 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 Bryson was just an ass the other night. Like I, you know, and that was how I lived my life, was that I didn't have any excuse. I had no reason why my life should be so bad. And, and it was. Um, I described myself as a low-bottom Al-Anon. You know, I'd run my life in the ground. Uh, you know, a friend of mine has a, 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 you know, a, a great statement. She says, I hit the bottom chasing after you. And, and for me, that was the deal, is that I, I was chasing people uh, to the bottom. And but from the outside, you know, I had a good career and and had a bunch of friends and people loved me and and all that, you know, what's going on. And but just nobody could figure out why I couldn't, you know, make it work. Um, but I couldn't. And and maybe you know that's the best thing we were talking to actually Jerry. Um, we were talking earlier today, and it's like that's probably the best way I could say that is that I couldn't make it work, you know. And and that's that's the biggest thing for me of of this of this program and of the 12 steps is for me to figure out, you know, that I couldn't do it, that I needed some help, that I needed a power greater than myself. Um, and that second step means a lot to me, and we'll talk about that. Um, but um, and I have my pop. I didn't know I had a pop, but I have a pop with me here, so it's good. <laughs> Where I'm from, um, people say sodi. Oh, wait, stop. You can go, just wave at me. Just, I just want to get close to you because we that love is the, you. That is the first time you. in my life when someone's ever said, could you speak up a little? <laughs> anyway. All right. How are we doing there? We good? Hot mic, hot mic, hot mic. All right. So, um, I'll lean in. I'll give the fireside chat version, but, um, that'll last about two seconds, but, um, so for me, um, I'll talk a little bit about how I got here. Um, you know, I don't... It's a strange thing being here uh, at the Adult Children Festival because, um, you know, it was not direct alcoholism in my family that I could identify at the time. And, and I love the, the uh, shaking the family tree. That's my, my sponsor always says it. By the way, my sponsor was here last year, I guess last year. Josiah was here last year, four years ago. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Time flies when you're not calling your sponsor. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he feels like it was just last year. But, um, but he's awesome. And, uh, and so Josiah's my sponsor. And, um, and it's really, you know, really helped me just completely re- remake my life. Um, but I, I didn't grow up with direct alcoholism that I could find. My mom is now a member of Al-Anon. And, um, as near as I can tell, the alcoholism may have been a few generations back. You know, if you read the, um, our book for adult children, we talk about it may have been parent, grandparent, friend, aunt, uncle, uh, family friend, that whole list there. And, um, and so I wasn't going to come to Al Anon, you know. Uh, luckily, the third tradition kind of gives us all a pass. You know, so the only requirement for membership is a problem of alcoholism then a relative or friend. And for me, that qualifies the entire world. Like, there's, there's not, I don't think there's anyone that can't say that then they could come into these rooms. Uh, but I always didn't feel like I, I belonged. But my home group is uh, the Sunday morning adult child-focused meeting in Hollywood, California, in uh, uh, the Island of Lost Toys, as I call it, because um, it's, it's, it's this, probably the strangest group of people you could ever imagine. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's good. I'm the I'm the normal looking one. I'm like an accountant for those guys. But uh, I'm. A, why are you so conservative, Bryson? Your beard is only six inches long. But um, but uh, and you have no face tattoos. But uh, you're so square. But anyway, um, it was beautiful because you know for for us, the, I, I, you can travel all over the world. And you can go to meetings, uh, I've been blessed to go to meetings all around the world uh, and all over the U.S. And the feelings are the same. You know, you hear speakers talk about the language of the heart. And that was the thing that got me. When I came into my first meeting, I swear everyone was like, you know, literally, like, average age was 94. If you it was certain that everyone was at least in their 90s. And I was like, there's no way that these people are going to have anything to tell me that at all they can't understand my life and they won't understand it. And the details were completely different. And the feelings and the thoughts and the character defects and the solution. Was very very common and very much the same, and that really taught me taught me a lot about anonymity. We talk about it here. I don't really care if you guys know my last name, um, you know. But for me, it was important that nobody knew me and knew anything about me. And it was beautiful in the beginning because I could come in and just be, you know, Bryson, and and understand that I could trust that people loved me for just being a human being. They didn't know what I did for a living. They didn't know who my friends were. They didn't know if I was cool or a nerd. They didn't know what I drove. They didn't know how much money I made. And it didn't matter. And I would come to those meetings, and every time I came to that meeting, people would give me a hug, and they were glad to see me. And that was unusual. You know, I would never experienced that in my life, that I didn't have to do anything to get that love. And that's something that al really gave me, was, was a loving place to heal and recover um, and learn about this path. Um, so I don't exactly know in my childhood, you know, what happened or who did what, and, and I don't really feel that that's a huge thing for me necessarily. I do know that I got some horrible ideas about myself and the world, and I got very few tools. You know, uh, it's 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 a good joke now, but I I was never taught to shave. Uh, my parents my parents d- divorced when I was about six, I guess, and um. And I just sort of would watch my grandfather learn to, sh- and, and learn to shave from him. And I would kind of play at it. And then eventually when I had to, I just sort of figured it out. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I remember that now, you know, that weird feeling of not knowing how to do something. So a lot of those tools, a lot of that stuff that people, I thought, you know, normal people get this, that manual they talk about. I just felt like I had none of that. I entered the world without any skills. Um, and my parents were great. They did the best they could. They were very young. Um, and, And it's been great to kind of, you know, let them off the hook. But I do know that, you know, my experience as a child, um, that there was alcoholism around me. And I've now come to see those family members who were alcoholics, at least in, in my opinion, their drinking bothered me. And, uh, you know, I, I joked, you know, there's no alcoholics down south. We don't have alcoholics. We have some drunks. We have people who drink. But there's no alcoholism in the south, apparently, because you will never hear about it. Uh, and certainly in my family, there weren't any. But there were a lot of people that did a lot of drinking and did a lot of crazy stuff around that. And so I don't really know, you know, who in my family was causing that chaos. But I do know that there was some behavior that I saw that was pretty outrageous and I also know that I, I for some reason, um, I didn't have good relationships with men, and, and I never did. And I got in the program and started working on that and started building relationships with men, and I started to remember that all those men that I didn't have good relationships with, they all had like a Schlitz beer in their hand, you know, and there was that, that smell of beer on their breath. And, and I remember that being scared and that, that, uh, you know, that unpredictability and that instability that was just terrifying to me as a kid. And I realize now that, that time after time, when I think about like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't like men. They were too rough and they were too whatever. Most of the time it was just, they were too drunk. And I, and I, and I, I can see that now, but you know, the denial is an amazing part of our disease and, and without someone to talk about that, you know, I never understood that. I just thought, you know, they, they were jerks or something was wrong with them. But I realized now that there were a lot of people around me who were suffering from the disease of alcoholism and, uh. And that has a profound effect on people. Um, You know, the way the disease affected me, I have every symptom of alcoholism. When you read that understanding ourselves... I have all of that on the Al-Anon side. And they talk about, you know, one of the symptoms is of alcoholism is an uncontrollable desire to drink. But I have a lot of those other symptoms, and it's very strange to me. And I realize that, you know, I'm affected by the disease of alcoholism. It's a family disease. We say that over and over and over. And for me, I see that because the anxiety, the guilt, the denial, all those things that we talk about, the obsession, they're talking about that in those other rooms as well. And, and it's not a coincidence that the, the solution is the same. By the way, I appreciate that you guys put all the cheat sheets up on the walls for me because if you get lost, Jerry, it's awesome. You can just pick up anywhere you want. It's pretty good. And you kept the steps and traditions up here, which is nice. So I can kind of refer quick when I have to. But, um, so, you know, going through my childhood, um, like I said, that feeling of, of not knowing what was going on, what was wrong, that feeling of not being enough. And and another thing that happened to me that, that that we talk about a lot in in these rooms is uh, that needless and wantless, and and I don't really know, you know, don't understand how it happened because I had you know I had really amazing parents, but I'll tell you a story. When I was doing my fourth step, um, I was you know going through and looking at my at my. Um, childhood i realized that i always was like borrowing like paper and pencils off of people and i can remember always like scrounging lunch money and stuff and i i couldn't really understand that now so my parents are divorced and i was like oh you know wow we must have been broke and you know and and i you know i never had enough money for stuff and I, I was home with my mom we were driving around and this is a great example about you know how this can work i was talking to my mom i said yeah you know i remember us not really having money and stuff and she's like what are you talking about she's like Your, you know, your your father paid child support. We, we always had plenty of money. And I realized that what was happening is, is that we would, you know, time for the new school year to start and you go buy paper and pencils and everything and notebooks and, and you go off to school. And then, you know, in a matter of weeks to a few months, that all runs out and you're supposed to get more. And I, I would never ask for any more. I just couldn't even ask for a pencil. And um, so, you know, it's a horrible way to enter the world. <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible way to enter business, let me tell you for sure, to not be able to ask for a pencil. And, um, and I realized that that was, you know, that's my disease. That's on me. That wasn't on my mother. I can't resent my mother for that. She wasn't neglecting me had she known. She just didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and it also speaks to me that, you know, the way I kept secrets and wouldn't tell people what's going on. You know, before program, you ask me how I'm doing, fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And I would never tell you honestly what was happening. I didn't have anybody I could trust enough to say that to. Um, so, I, you know, I, I I, go through my early years, and, and um, you know, I, I will share this because um, there was a lot of Al-Anon behavior in my family, I realize now, that really also really, really bothered me. And I recognize that there's some extended family members who had some, you know, did a good bit of drinking. And I had some closer family members who did a good bit of chasing them around. And I can remember being taken on those missions to go find so and so and we're gonna go get so and so or so and so's doing this, and I remember that discussion and that tension and that anxiety and, and it took me a long time to be able to remember that stuff, but I put that back together and I remember the feelings of being around those people and and how that happened. And um you know I always say that, you know, uh, that I was not abused by Arkansas standards. But, um, but in California, they probably would have taken me out of the home. But, uh, but that, you know, that's something of a joke. But I realized that it's, it's not. There it was a lot of inappropriate behavior going on, a lot of things that just, you know, I, sh- you know, children shouldn't have to deal with. So as I got a little older and, uh, was going along, you know, no way to ask for help uh was really sure that I was somehow broken and, and wasn't as good as everybody else. Pretty well convinced of that. Um, pretty well convinced that I had to do things to get love and uh, for whatever reason, wherever that came from. So I had to be a certain way and, and, and perform at a certain level in order to get love or get anything out of people. Um, and... I'd had a, an, a, a religious upbringing, and my grandmother did a great job of bringing me up really well and giving me a beautiful, uh, you know, shared a wonderful higher power with me. But I found as I got older that that, that higher power didn't work for me. And, uh, and the way I describe it was is that, um, you know, my Sunday morning life and my Saturday night life were not in sync. And that higher power I came up with was not going to really be able to deal with my Saturday night life. And, uh, and I drifted away from that. And, and so, you know, you end up uh, a teenager, all my own, doing it my own way, not really any spirituality, no higher power, um, completely on self-will, with all these bad ideas about myself and the world and other people and how to get what I wanted or not. And, and I noticed that um, that feeling of less than, for me, made me seek Yet lower companions, you know, if I had somebody who was a mess, a couple things would happen. Say, so one, they needed me, you know, in air quotes, they needed me, and I could, I could get their love by doing things for them. At least what I thought was their love. I realized now it wasn't actually love, but I could do that, and that gave me some value. I had no self worth, so I could get some other outside esteem from that and then also uh, when someone's just a complete shambles you look pretty good standing next to him if you're just even halfway there and so for me i just show up sober and half showered and man i was the, you know the king of the day and so uh so that was a big deal for me i felt bad about myself and so i was going to surround myself with people that made me look better um and that you know that weird sort of bizarre competition that we get with other people in this world like somehow they're going to get something that I you know I'm not going to get something if they do and uh and so I started getting more and more chaotic people around me and that was friends um you know I love the uh, <laughs> you know the uh, do's and don'ts you know the 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 dominate nag scold all that stuff um I was the king of that unbelievable unbelievable king of that and uh, super self righteous. I'm just unbelievably self righteous. And so for me, that made it easier to be right. It made me easier to be, you know, more self righteous. Is the lower the person was and the more messed up they were. And I look back and like a lot of my best friends, God bless them, and, and a lot of my relationships were people that were really troubled. And uh and you know, so surrounding myself with that and going out in the world I really stacked the deck against myself I, you know I was always carrying me and everyone else and so I didn't get taken care of really well uh, you know not until I got in in the program of Alan on did I learn you know at all to take care of myself and so um so you take that and uh, and all that craziness and you know you, you 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 don't have a god of any type and and you got all this crazy ideas, and and another thing I'll mention is that um, a lot of how I got, you know, esteem when I was a kid was to be a good student and to be smart, and this is a program like Figure It Out is not mentioned anywhere in our literature, like there's no Figure It Out And the 12 steps are, when you come in, they're just, it's like Yoda. They're so just, like, what? Like, when I read them, I was like, what what does it even mean? I can remember when I first came in, I was working with some guys that were 12-step guys, and I was like, what does it mean, like, work the steps? Like, what do you, how does that, you know, what do you do? But but the thing that I realized was that, you know, you know, it's, it's a simple program for complex people is what my friend always says. And, and that's the thing for me is that it's like I don't have to do it. If I come in and I do these things that people recommend, I get a sponsor and I work these steps, it, it works on me. And I don't have to know. You know, I, I, there are things in me that have been, you know, character defects that I've uncovered and I've been healed from. And I have no idea how they happened. I have no idea how they were relieved other than I believe that a higher power has restored me to sanity. Um, And that is a big point. Um, So here I am, this kind of crazy guy, not kind of, this very crazy guy, uh, (laughs) creating havoc. And and, you know, hear people say he's a mean drunk. I was a mean Al-Anon. Like I was a really mean Al-Anon. I was constantly, I had no skin, I was sensitive, everything, you know, everything was an injury to me. And I was swinging back. You know, I, on a good day in boots, I'm five, eight, I weigh 133 pounds as I stand here before you. So, you know, don't, you know, don't think that that didn't affect me. I was tiny and I was scared and, and the world, you know, had nothing overrun by fear. You start seeing all these things that we talk about in these meetings that were in my life. It's like, Oh, crazy fear, which makes me strike out in anger and it makes me be mean and, and. Unbelievably harsh and mean to people, and I'm still making amends for that. Um, and that's, you know, that cycle repeated. People were mean to me, and people said hurtful, harmful things to me as a child. Um, I mention that because I don't have a history of physical abuse. I wasn't, I wasn't beaten or, or physically abused in, in any way. But I understand that, that people said things to me and did things to me that hurt me. And the reason I mention that is that, you know, I hope that no one minimizes how the disease affected them. And I don't want anyone, you'll hear some horrific shares from people. I have friends of mine who have just, just blood-curdling stories. And mine's not like that. But I ended up broken in a lot of the same ways. And I ended up with a lot of the same problems. And this same solution worked for me. So I just want to make sure that, you know, um, if you read the adult child book, sometimes you read it and you're like, oh, my Lord, whoa, whoa. Like, what? Oh, this poor person. And for me, I have to understand that, you know, my injuries internal, although you couldn't see them, they were every bit as bad, and they they crippled me every bit as badly. Um, and, that's, and that's another thing I, I always like to make clear. Um, so this miserable life. And it just was more and more miserable and just nothing would work. It just, everything I tried, I I just could not make anything work. And as I look at it now, it makes so much sense. When you stack all that up, it's like, how did you even live? And so I was constantly, you know, surrounded with this chaos and creating these problems and choosing these problems, choosing these people. I was putting myself, you know, I don't get to play the victim at all because I made choices that put me there. Sure, I had a disease and I had to heal from that and I, I forgive myself for that. But time after time, when I did my inventory, it was like, oh, and I'm there and And that's another thing about we talk about acceptance. It's like right now I'm still cleaning up the wreckage of my past and I have to accept myself. I did that and it's okay and love myself. So um, so and, and depending on time, I, I you know I sort of sometimes leave out, the first time I came to Al-Anon, I'm going to tell it tonight because it's important, I think, for people who come and go. Um, so the first time I came to Al-Anon, um, I had, uh, you know, r- Richard laugh. We were talking about, the, the, I was talking to some of the guys here, Bo, about, um, how, when I was sharing it, uh, uh, with a bunch of the home guys from this Lac and Yada men's meeting, uh, I shared, uh, at, at that night that, um, that I, I'm a big supporter of the arts. And at that point in my life and my career, I was supporting a lot of artists. And, uh, because I was so arrogant, I couldn't just support regular artists and dancers. I had to support exotic dancers. And that's, that's what made me special. But, um, so this particular artist that I was involved in at the time was, uh, was wow. Uh, was a, god bless her like I just I just I, I just pray she's I pray she's you know I pray she's sober to this day I pray she's happy I pray she has everything in life that she wants you know because I had a huge part I, I did a lot of bad stuff in that relationship but just ran me to the ground, just ran me to the ground, and I was empty. I was worn out. I had nothing to give. I had no really reason. I had no business being in a relationship anyway because I was a wreck, and I was just hurting people and manipulating people to get what I wanted. But, but basically, I had this uh, poor girl. And, and luckily, um, you know, if you'd asked me, she doesn't have a drinking problem. She doesn't have a drug problem. But I was really lucky in that I had a sober person who was working for me, and she was also an Al-Anon. And she was like, well, talk to me about this. And I was like, yeah, you know, well, no, 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 no. She, she only does drugs, like, every once in a while, like, at work sometimes. And, and, and she, doesn't, she, doesn't, she only drinks when she works. Of course, she works five nights a week. Um, and oftentimes, once she was drunk, she would start doing drugs. And the reason I mention that is that I never would have gone to Al-Anon but, uh, she came to work one day, my assistant came to work one day, and I was sitting in my, uh, chair. Luckily, I, I work, I have an office in my house. I'm sitting in my chair at my desk, wearing boxers and fuzzy slippers and a wife beater t-shirt, and I'm just bawling, crying, down, just, like, just bawling in my chair. And she's like, Okay, um, tonight, it's Tuesday, you're going to go to the Little White Chapel in Burbank and you're going to see Beverly. My friend Beverly will be there. Go see Beverly. And I was like, blah, blah. and I just, for whatever reason, I was like, okay. And I went and, you know, all those 90 year old people were there and, uh, and you know, they, were, they were knitting and they all, you know, all knitting, every one of them a huge Afghan together and um, <laughs> size of a football field. And, um, and I kept my head down, so I know that's how they looked and what they were doing. But I kept my head down the whole time. Um, but I, I don't know, I just heard, I heard what you people talk about in these meetings. And it resonated. And, and it made sense. And, and, you know, had you asked me then? No, no, no. But I went back for some reason the next week and I kept going back. Um, and I would love to say, and that's the happily ever after. Everything worked out. It was so great, and it was all good from then. But after about six months, um, it's really weird, and I hate to say this on the podium because it's so controversial, but Al-Anon didn't work. Um, and uh, it just didn't work for me. So, I mean, you flew me all the way up here for me to tell you that, and it's early, so uh, I guess I'll just wrap with that. But uh, good luck to you, but it didn't work. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. But... Uh, <laughs> No, actually, it didn't, and uh, let's see if we can work out why. So I would go to one meeting a week, uh, had some literature, don't really remember reading it much, uh, did not have a sponsor, didn't talk to anybody at the meetings, didn't call anybody in between meetings, right? Sure didn't work the steps, Um, except after about six months, I worked the 13th step and started dating a woman in the meeting. Recently divorced newcomer. What could go wrong? <laughs> and so, Alan didn't work. It was so weird. And that, I you know, I know it's going to blow your mind, but that relationship didn't work out. And um, woo. Again, God bless her. I hope. Uh, and um, and uh, and so I just kind of drifted off. Now, you know, I could have found another meeting. There's something like 200 and something meetings in my town, but, um, but I didn't, you know, and I just kind of drifted off. So here I was, um, with enough Al Anon to be dangerous. And you talk about self-righteous, man. I, Alanon, if you got, you know, you're self-righteous and you don't get any recovery, you just get all these, this ammunition, you can be amazing out there in the world telling people how to run their lives. I was an, I was an amateur before Alanon. I got like six months of Al-Anon in me. I turned a pro. And, um, awesome. And so control, 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 you know, I, and, uh, but I was still miserable inside. And, you know, and, and Meyer Power knows uh, what a hardhead I am. You know, I describe the third step when I talk about the third step. Um, I have a moment in my life when I remember standing out in front of my house. Uh, I spend a lot of time in my boxers, apparently. Uh, but I, <laughs> I stand out in front of my house. I used to live on the street that I don't live there anymore. And thank God now that I tell this story, I think about that. But... <laughs> But I'm standing out in front of my house and I could just, you know, like, like uh, I had like a, a little t-shirt on and I remember just feeling like the, the slightest, slightest breeze coming from the South. And, and like, for me, that's kind of how God speaks to me. Like I hear my higher power. I, I don't I often, I have to get quiet and still to kind of tell what's going on, um, and so I, you know, I talk about sort of God whispering, and then you know, God's like, hey, hey, and then my higher power is kind of like, uh, ho, 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 and starts tapping me on the shoulder, and then finally, like, I get the two before across the back of my head, and I go to my knees. And so, um, tell the story every time, but basically, the short version of it is, uh, I went out to the desert with my gay sober friend, and when we came back from the desert, she was no longer sober. She was uh, not acting gay anymore and was certainly much more than my friend. And so, and I just feel like that's like the the Winter Olympics of, uh, you know, of unavailability. And so, and she'd been sober for eight years off of cocaine and alcohol. And that whole thing about, well, you pick right back up where you stopped is really true. Do not test it. Do not test it with your loved ones. Mm. I bought her a shot of tequila um to break her sobriety which by the way find out more about alcoholism they say that um i had not gotten to that part yet in my six months of al-anon because i bought this girl a shot of, of you know tequila and was like "Woo!" and and thus just put us into a blender and luckily um and she you know she and i are friends and we laugh about this now you know she's sober she runs a sober living she's an amazing woman and uh a wonderful woman and uh and she was nuts by her own admission. She was like, oh, I was terrifying. I was crazy. It took her a couple of years to get sober again. And, um, but I was so nuts that I scared her. I was so in my disease and so in my acting out and just crazy, just control and, and out of my mind that she was like, you're crazy and you need to get some help. And, and I heard that. And, and she said, you know, you have a hole inside you. You have an emptiness that you're trying to fill with money and me and love and whatever. And the only thing that's going to fill that is God. And you have to find some way to do that. And I remember talking to a friend of mine on the phone and I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go back to that Al-Anon meeting that I went to. And um, and I went back. And, um, and I come from a small town. And... Uh, and shame is a big part of the social order there and the culture and we don't talk a lot because you don't want to air your shameful stuff and you sure don't want to mess up in front of people and you sure don't want to do anything wrong because they will tell you about it and in my family if you do something wrong you'll be laughed at you'll be shamed you'll be put down and that was my experience growing up and so you can't be wrong you can't do something halfway you got to do it right you'd better be right if you're not right you're, something bad's going to happen and um I went back to that meeting with my head down and head low and went in and sat down at that meeting. I, like a year after I'd been there and this big old guy named John came over and, uh, at the end of the meeting and he smiled at me and he came walking over and I, you know, I just was like a dog that'd been beat. I was just ready to flinch for whatever mean thing he was going to say to me about not being in that meeting for a year. And he said, Hey, it's good to see you. And, uh, He shook my hand and gave me a hug, and that's all he said. You know, and he said, "How you been?" I said, "I've been good, but not good enough." And he was like, "Cool." And that's all he said, just quiet and with love. He said that he welcomed me, and that taught me such a huge lesson about Alan that I don't need to be perfect. I can come here and make mistakes and I can be vulnerable and I can come in here and tell you all these horrible things that I did to people and, and you can love me anyway because of who I am and just because of being a human being. And that was a huge thing for me. I'd never, I I really feel that moment cracked me open. And then I started going to a meeting on Friday nights. Um, and, uh, and there was this big buff bodybuilder guy there who would cry sometimes about his daughter and talk about his relationship and he was honest and 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 he was a good man and i could tell it and uh and i thought well i might want to be like that guy and so i asked him to sponsor me and that was i don't know 12 years ago and that was Josiah, and he's still my sponsor today and now that started me able to to trust uh, other men and heal my relationship with men and um and from that uh, i started working the steps and i started going to meetings regularly more than one meeting a week i started to take service commitments and um And service taught me so much. We were talking about service this afternoon. And uh, service helped me heal that shame. So let me lay down my service history for you. Um, I've been a bad treasurer. I've been a a horrible coffee maker. I've been uh, an an inappropriate speaker. I've been a a late secretary who's forgotten the format and the book and sometimes the keys. I've been... um, A greeter who was not very welcoming. Uh, I've been a wrangler who didn't tell everyone the break was over or whatever you're supposed to do as a wrangler. I think in that six months, I don't really figured out what I was supposed to do. Um, And nobody threw me out of Al-Anon. Everybody smiled at me and loved me and let me learn that I could do something imperfectly. And that opened up a whole world of things that I could do. Because before, I was pretty much limited to what I could do perfectly, which means nothing. I was paralyzed in my life. Certainly, paralyzing relationships. Not really going to ever be able to date somebody or or have a relationship if you if you can only do what you do perfect. You know, we're imperfect beings, and so um, showing up every week and everybody just thrilled that I was there. I will give you an example of perception. I always tell the story because I I love it. Uh, I was going to this meeting where there were a lot of awesome ladies, and um, and they were just. Really cool Black Belt al long-time recovery, and it was really great. And you're supposed to show up in time. I had an old coffee maker, and you're supposed to show up. If you don't show up like a half an hour early and plug in the coffee maker, there's not going to be hot coffee before the meeting. It's just not going to happen. And uh, and I could never get there in time to do that. So I would show up like a quarter till, throw everything in, plug it all in, get it going, and I'd go, whoa, we're good. And like, you know, by the break, we would have coffee. Um, so, for after a while, this lady i can 't believe she would do this, damn her, but she would uh she would plug in the coffee maker and put water in that thing for me and um I can today, after a lot of recovery and work, I can say for me then she was plugging in the coffee to me or plugging it in at me, and it enraged me that this woman would plug in the coffee pot um, How dare she? Tell me how to do my job. By the way, she had never said a word to me and was nothing but loving and kind and was just doing for me what I wasn't doing, you know, taking truthfully, taking care of the meeting better than I was. Um, But man, I was convinced that lady was doing something to me. And then finally, after about a month and God bless, like thank my higher power before I said something mean to her. One day it just hit me. It's like the lady's not doing anything at you. You know, that lady's just plugging in a coffee pot. She's being of service to you and to the meeting, get over yourself. Stop taking personally, you know, what are you doing? And and I realized that it's just everything was about me. And I knew she was just thinking like, well, I'll get there and fix this coffee pot for that damn Bryson, which never entered this woman's mind (laughs) ever. And, um, that's gotta say that's, you know, making copies probably one of the most like biggest lessons I learned in this program. You know, it's just to do. And and the lesson of, like, I can be imperfect. That lady still loves me. You know, I see her, and she's just super sweet. And by shutting my mouth, keeping my mouth shut, and working something out with sponsor and friends, I didn't create more damage. You know, I didn't crush that little old lady, you know, and come in and yell at her or something, you know. And by the way, I am totally the yell at a little old lady kind of guy before recovery. I would have just like, what are you doing with the coffee? Leave that alone. I know you. Know what I would? I'm too passive aggressive. I wouldn't have done that. I would have just taken it with me every week <laughs> and showed up at like five till. <laughs> can't can't imagine why I wasn't able to put together a life before this program. Wow. So anyway, so I learned to um, I learned to trust men, and uh, and uh, and I had a lot of problems with women. Um, but I grew up. You know, uh, my grandmother and my mother really, really raised me. And so I had a really wonderful relationship with women. So I thought. Now, by the way, romantic relationships were a nightmare. Like, never was able to put one together. I was a horrible boyfriend, for one. So I had to go make a lot of coffee and do a lot of stuff like that in these meetings to get, you know, kind of some of those life skills together. Um, But something I really found out that was really weird is that as I built my relationships with men um, and, and worked with other men and came to trust them that they became a source of stability and comfort and love and there was less pressure as i reached out to people who could love me back who who, who were doing the work and who and who you know were able of returning that love you know we talk, some people talk about that availability as i was around these men who were available all of a sudden i found out that I, it mattered less so just like that lady's well-being didn't didn't have, you know the meeting didn't worry if i showed up for coffee or not They were covered. I found out that I was kind of covered. And she, whoever she was, took a lower, you know, lower role in my life as far as like, oh, my God, you have to do this. You know? Um, So I was able to show up in a different way to relationships. Also, I understood because you guys taught me that I was lovable. You know, those, those people who hugged me on that Friday night when I showed up at that meeting every every week and were genuinely glad to see Bryson, who they knew nothing about, and loved me. And I, I the, the trick that they played on me was that I believed that I didn't know anything and that I was lower than everybody and that I was not good enough and all of that. So by that, that meant that you guys all knew more than me. And you guys all knew way better than me. And... And by the members of Al-Anon loving me and, and helping me, I understood that I was lovable. And it tricked me. Because if you guys love me, I must be lovable. I can't trust myself. So um, so worked the steps with my sponsor. Um, the way I described, uh, you know, for me, the steps was uh, I was not going to admit I was powerless when I came in. Not going to admit that. But you got me with the second half of that little clause on the back that says our lives had become unmanageable because I had unmanageability in spades. And that cracked the door. And when I worked that step, I was able to look at how things were unmanageable and I was able to go, maybe because you're powerless and you got me. Second thing was I came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And for me, I didn't have a power greater than me. I was doing it myself. So I had to find a higher power that worked. You know, and and my higher power uh, doesn't look like me, and in both of the connotations, and my higher power uh, is it may be really different than yours, but but it works for me, and and it's not me, and uh, and I, and I trust it implicitly, and something that I do with my sponsees. Um, that i kind of got from aas i learned a lot from alcoholics anonymous going to open meetings and reading the literature and they you know we say to do that lois and them when they started this thing they didn't even have these books so they started with that book and there's some good stuff in there there's some good things they do and one of the things they do is they act Uh, they change their behavior and that changes their thinking and part of the thing for me is i learned to say things out loud i learned to pray out loud and when we work the second step you know I said out loud, I believe you'll restore me to sanity. And that's there's some strange power to me in saying that out loud, but I really do believe that that I'm here today because of a higher power. Um, and then made the decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood God, understood him. That, for me, um, was a big deal because I, I was doing it wrong, and what I figured out was that um, why... As I did my inventory, I figured out that I hated myself. And I would, if you'd asked me, you don't hate yourself. But if you looked at what I did, you're like, anybody that you would do these things to, you clearly hate. Like, I, I wrecked every part of my life. So what happened is that why would I think that I would pick a good outcome for myself? I chose bad people. I made bad career decisions. I created all sorts of trouble for myself. So for me, I was like, well, God could not do worse. Let's just try this. <laughs> so I made that decision, and lo and behold, it, it started to work, and it was better, and it worked out. Um, inventory, mind-blowing. And the thing I always say about inventory to you is that if you're scared of it, if you haven't done a fourth step, please, please do it. It's amazing. And the, and the way that people say, oh, I don't want to open that closet, and, and all that stuff will fall out. And, you know, I always tell people it's like it's not a closet, it's a backpack, and and you're carrying it anyway. Open it up and let that stuff out because it just gets lighter. You know, it's not going to fall on you. It's going to fall off of you. And that was my experience. And then working with that sponsor, you know, sharing everything honestly with him, good and bad. And at the end of it, having say, having him say, I love you. Good job. I understood that I could be intimate with somebody. I could actually say what I felt, say what I thought, say everything I had done, and I was still lovable. And that was an outrageous experience for me. So, you know, get on into the the, the middle steps where God starts to take those things off of you. But for me, that critical thing opened a really unbelievable door because that means that if, if all of you love me, and I've been honest with you in these meetings. And that's, that's all I ever pray for when I come to, to speak on these things. It's just that I can just tell my truth as best I can. And then I can be honest with the sponsor and, and do this fourth and fifth step. And, and he still loves me, you know, and, 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 and loves me dearly. It's one of the most powerful relationships of my life. And um, then maybe, maybe I, I could find a her and I could be honest with her. And, and maybe she might love me, even if she knows, you know, some of the things that I feel less than perfect about me or less than perfect about me. And and that opened the door to being vulnerable and not having the denial, you know, having some of that removed. You kind of, you know, can, you know, like my friend always says, it's like they're not red flags. It's a parade. And, um, you know, for me, it's like... That was certainly the experience that I had. So for me now to be able to do that, so all of a sudden I was able to like believe that I I might actually deserve love. You know my higher power was showing me that. My sponsor loved me. People in program loved me, and I was able to date honestly and say, well this is who I am. Who are you? And and hear them, and 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 you know not try to change anything about that person. Just see if that worked. And um, you know I I met a, a wonderful girl. Uh, she's in program. We knew each other before program. Uh, we both joked that that would have been a cool weekend, you know, eight or nine years ago. But um, you know, if, if, had we met then. But it, you know, in the meantime, she got sober and and came into Al-Anon. And um, you know, and I, I, I rely on this program for everything. I was talking to a guy. And I was uh, I was trying to date, and I was like, yeah, I want to. I'd like to date somebody like Anna Lee. And a buddy of mine from my meeting, he was like, uh, well, why don't you ask out Al- Anna Lee? And um it was a staggeringly good idea that I I'd never had never occurred to me. She was single, she's like my favorite girl ever. I was like, "That's a great idea." And, um, and I did. and um, I did it by the book with you know, with with all my friends helping me and, and my sponsor and everybody. and uh, it just kept working and, and you know, we ended up getting married, and we have a wonderful life filled with recovery, with friends and you know, and sponsees and sponsors and meetings and uh, and you know, talk about the third step, it's like that's that's not what I'd figured out for myself. I I wouldn't have dreamed this. I you know, I would not have come up with this life. You know, if you'd talked to me thirteen years ago, you know, if I would be here with you guys are uh, spending several hundred hours a year. I want you to all take credit for that. People do all these crazy things in their lives. I want to point out that you know that, that everyone in this room spends hundreds of hours a year. If you go to one meeting a week, you're spending like 50, 75 hours a year on something. People don't do that. Most people, regular people, don't do that. Commend yourself for the work you do, you know, to better yourself and this world. It's a beautiful thing. You know, not that many people, even so-called spiritual religious people, don't spend that much time working on a a connection with a higher power. So I just want to say that um, for me, I would not have been able to figure this out. I would not have picked this life I have, you know. I would have picked something not anywhere near as wonderful, you know. I wouldn't have met any of you. And and I want you to know that every member of Al-Anon means the world to me. Wherever I go, I'm never alone. I can walk into one of these meetings, and I can find someone who relates to me that I can share my heart with, and I can share openly with, and that stuff never comes back, never comes back at me. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, um, you know... So you know as they say you know let the love and peace of the program grow in you one day at a time. Thank you very much.